Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced and edited by The Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hey everyone, this is Anne here with the podcast and I'm talking with Dr. Katrina Mitchell. Uh, Dr. Mitchell is actually a breast surgeon uh, with an MD Anderson affiliate hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She's also an assistant professor of surgery at the University of New Mexico and she has a special interest in lactation and we have a lot to learn from her. Hey Katrina, how are you? Good. Good, thanks for inside. (laughs) Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Are you thankful because it's really hot in Albuquerque right now? Oh my gosh, it's over 100 degrees. I don't know what Wisconsin's like, but oh. Oh man, that's bad. Bad for everyone, even nursing mothers. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah. So you know what I thought I would do today is rather than um, having you give a huge discourse on like masses and meditation and all this stuff. I thought I would just present a case because I had this really interesting case and I thought we could use this case to um, like talk about how to work up a woman with a mass who's breastfeeding and all the things to think about and maybe maybe explain a little bit about the way that radiologists describe these lesions and how to interpret that, uh, interpret those things. So, and I'll bring up the description um, of the radiologic findings in the case that I present to you. So how does that sound? That sounds good, and I'll try to not feel like I'm taking the oral board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, this is practice for, for your IPCLC. Yeah. Okay, so here's the case. So um, there is a healthy 28-year-old mother who's breastfeeding her first child. Uh, she had a normal pregnancy and an uneventful labor and delivery at 39 weeks gestation, and her infant was born at 8 pounds, 15 ounces. So everything seemed pretty normal. The baby nursed well postpartum, but she had some cracks and scabs at the time of hospital discharge, and the baby always uh, was gaining weight well, so there's never really a concern about milk supply. She was seen, um, she was first seen um, by you, let's say that you're the doctor, the breastfeeding doctor, um, at two weeks postpartum, um, and she had persistent cracks and severe deep breast pain after nursing. Uh, you worked on her latch, and the latch uh, improved, and she was very happy. She felt like it didn't hurt as much to nurse her, to nurse the baby. And you gave her some antibiotics because you thought she had a low-grade infection based on the degree of pain and how nasty her cracks and, and uh, her, her cracks and scabs looked on her nipples. So in the next three weeks, all of her symptoms resolved and uh, her milk supply seemed pretty well matched. She didn't really have like excessive milk and the baby was gaining well. So you said, goodbye, see you later. Call me if you have any problems. So three weeks later, um, she suddenly notices uh, a very obvious lump in her right breast. It kind of happened suddenly. And she uh, calls her doctor, not you, but she called her doctor um, after it had been there for two weeks. So uh, at that time, she told her doctor that she didn't have a fever, redness, or warmth of her breast, and it really wasn't very tender. Um, Her milk supply wasn't really changing in that right breast where she had the mass. Her primary care physician um, described in in her notes that it looked that she identified it as a two by two centimeter mass at nine o'clock in the right breast. 
the the um, mother didn't have any adenopathy, and so she sent the mother for imaging. So she had, um, as routine at our breast center, in where I am at the University of Wisconsin, she had a routine mammogram and an ultrasound um, on this mass. So her mammography showed a right breast mass in the middle of the right breast at the 930 position, about six centimeters from the nipple, and they thought it was a galactosil. Um, they they described mm -hmm. it as a 4A, um, which meant suspicious finding, and they recommended an ultrasound to do a diagnostic aspiration to confirm that it's a galactosil. And if they couldn't withdraw any fluid, they decided they recommended that it be biopsied. And it they they categorized it as a BIRADS-4, uh, which meant low suspicion for malignancy. They also did- That's a 4A, though. A 4A. Oh, it's a 4 oh, that's a 4A. I want to oh, make sure, okay. yeah, that we- like, okay. So um, a 4 has 4A, 4B, and 4C. So a 4A is a low suspicion for malignancy, 4B is moderate, and 4C is high. Got it. Okay. So there are some gradations with cate within category four. Okay. Because they said in the report that it was like, first they said 4A and then later they said bi -red. Yes. So I see. Okay. So then. Yes. So the 4A is, is that, yeah, that's appropriate probably for a complicated galactosil. Okay. Or potentially a three, yeah. So then they also did an ultrasound at that same time, and they described it as a 24 millimeter by 18 millimeter by 19 millimeter oval heterogeneous mass with indistinct margins with posterior shadowing in the right breast at 9:30 at 9:30, six centimeters from the nipple. So they kind of got better um, better measurements of the size of it on the ultrasound, mm -hmm. didn't have any calcifications yeah. or other findings. And then they aspirated it using an 18 gauge needle um, and they got two mLs of milky fluid extracted from that area. So then they said, aha, there is milk and so that must be a galactosil. So then over the next two weeks, so then she was, she was told that's a galactosil, see you later, don't worry about it. So over the next two weeks, she really didn't have any follow-up with anyone. So, and the mass seemed to grow and it became somewhat tender. So she called her doctor and the doctor said, go back to wait, go back um, and have another ultrasound done. And uh, oh, by the way, go see the specialist in the breast center as well. So, um, so at that time, um, the, uh, the provider in the breast center felt it, said, let's do another ultrasound. Uh, they didn't repeat the mammogram. The ultrasound showed that it was somewhat bigger, up to 31 millimeters from the largest uh, size of 24 millimeter. The lar largest measurement was 24 millimeter last time. So it increased a little bit. And then they did another aspiration and they got 6 ml. And um, she never felt like it went down completely. Um, and it felt a little bit better. But then the breast center said, go see a breastfeeding medicine specialist who is now going to be you, Katrina. So um, she's referred to you, um, or the same, let's say that you're the one who saw her, also you're the one who saw her at that three week, at the two week mark as well. So now it's nine days after the second aspiration. And when you feel the mass, uh, it's golf ball size, it's firm, it's not tender, there's no fluctuance, there's no induration, so it's not like thickened, warm, red. You look at her breast and it looks like someone stuffed a golf ball in her breast, but it doesn't really look mm. like it's like it's infected. And she's not really super bothered by it. So what would you do at this point? 
Well, I think this is um, not the most straightforward situation. Um, I think that I, I obviously I'd like to see the images myself. I think that's that's really important because um, if they're calling it a likely galactosphere, um, these galactosphere aren't always um, simple. They can look more complex on imaging, which is why I imagine they probably gave it a 4A um, and they did describe it as heterogeneous. Um, but if they got that much, if they got milk from it to begin with, they got milk, um, they got six mLs for a three centimeter galactosil. You know, you may expect a little bit, you expect a little bit more fluid from um, an aspiration. But then again, if it's partially calcified and, and the milk is getting really thick and sticky, it may not be a very effective aspiration. Um, so at that point, I would probably want to do another ultrasound guided aspiration um, to see if I could get it to collapse down at all. I mean, I think these are, um, as I was saying, the, the general surgery boards um, and even what you learn in um, breast surgery fellowship, things are a lot more straightforward. Either you're seeing an abscess or you're seeing a, a simple galactosil, which is just a, a cystic mass filled with fluid that's a, a simple um, a simple fluid um, but really in practice I think you see situations like this where it becomes more complicated and um, the mass may be more heterogeneous it may become more irregular over time and I don't think we have that particularly well defined except to call it a complex galactosil so I yeah. would probably if I saw this patient I would aspirate again under ultrasound guidance, take another look at, at the, the mass and see what, I, see what I got out. So let's say, so at what point would you decide that you would biopsy this mass, like to make sure that you're not dealing with the cancer? Like, is there anything that would, like, uh, do you, would you ever do that? Um, I think, I, I mean, I think absolutely biopsying any kind of mass that is not resolving um, is never the wrong answer. I mean, you never want to miss you never want to miss a cancer, but this is a, I mean, this is a 28 year old um, mother. I assume she probably doesn't have a um, strong family history of cancer. Um, if you're not giving me that, um, she has, um, she had previous nipple trauma and subacute mastitis. So it sounds to me like this is probably a fairly straightforward um, plugging turning into a galactosil situation where they did aspirate milk. But if there's any concern for a mass becoming more vascular or more heterogeneous or more irregular with concerning ultrasound findings, it's never ever wrong to core that because you're putting in the same size needle for a core needle biopsy as you are to aspirate milk. Oh, so the core biopsy needle is like 18 is an 18 gauge? 14. Oh, yeah, 14. I mean, it can be a 14. I mean, 16 sometimes. Um, but essentially, it's the same kind of, of defect. And um, so if there's any kind of concerns, I, I'd have to kind of see the patient, see the imaging, um, look at it clinically. There may be a little, you know, there may be something that suggests there was a little bit of a nidus for um, kind of a chronic mastitis superimposed on a galactosil. I think these are really kind of overlapping. Um, they can be overlapping diagnoses, and um, I think that's probably not helpful for clarifying things for people, but 
it really isn't quite as black and white as I think I used to understand things as a general surgery resident or even in my breast surgery training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like these are just totally gray. And so, so this um, patient went on to have a biopsy of the lesion and mm -hmm. uh, the pathology was described as benign fragments of inflamed breast parenchyma and cystic content. Mm -hmm. And so um, then, so then um, she like what's interesting is about I so I guess to reveal the truth is that I did see this patient. Um, yeah. and so, <laughs> so let's say that you talked to the patient. Let's say I did, and let's say you did, and um, you uh -huh. talked to the patient like six days later to see how she's doing. And she says, "Well, I kind of feel like it's going down in size." So then. Mm -hmm. um, at what, like, would you, in this situation, still, you know, in, you know, keeping in mind this concern about breast cancer, since breast cancer is so common, would you follow this lesion over time to make sure it totally resolves, or would you feel comfortable yes. just saying, let me know if it doesn't go away completely at some point? I would follow this. I think most breast surgeons out there, well, I guess I, I can't really speak for everyone, but I think in general, we tend to follow lesions even outside of breastfeeding. So if someone has something like a fibroadenoma, which is a, a common um, benign breast mass that occurs in young, young women most of the time, um, we generally don't excise these unless they are larger than two centimeters growing, something is changing, um, the patient is really symptomatic. Um, but it's something that we would follow every six months for usually two years to ensure that it's not changing. So I, I do think most of us like to follow things. And personally, with these patients, um, particularly if they're older, there's a family history of cancer, I'm more suspicious for something more sinister hiding in there and kind mm -hmm. of serving as a point of obstruction to begin with. Mm -hmm. I like to follow them with... Um, with imaging at least every six months. And sometimes in the more acute period, I will follow them up at the three month mark with an ultrasound and an exam, because I think you need to ensure that the, that area has resolved um, and that there isn't an occult mass hiding in that area. I think that's uncommon, but um, you know, our goal is to always um, you know, not miss a cancer, not miss a concerning lesion. So um, so, so that's how I would follow. Them. Interesting. Well, you know, I thought, so, you know, sometimes, um, like when you biopsy something, particularly I know from just as a family doctor biopsying the skin lesion, like an actinic mm -hmm. keratosis um, can actually help to make it go away. Or if you um, like inject candida into a ward, it makes the work away because you're activating the immune mm -hmm. system. So I was wondering uh -huh. if, because she had it actually biopsied, if that, um, was an in, like an that instigated um, more more rapid repair because it was after that biopsy that she felt like it really was gradually going down in size. That's interesting. That's why breastfeeding medicine is so cool because it's so interdisciplinary. And right. I feel like yeah. I always learn something from the pediatricians and the family practice doctors. Right. And yeah. I have to say, I don't think I've I've necessarily thought of that before myself, but that's interesting and. That may make sense. I think I've always theorized that these um, gradually, um, you know, reduce in size and, and symptomatology over time because it's just the natural, um, 
you know, a lot of these occur in that immediate postpartum period or the, the first couple months postpartum, and there's just so much supply and, and the breast parenchyma is so proliferative and active and that gradually as the, the milk supply drops and the, um, you know, just the lactational tissue settles down a little bit, I think that some of that kind of early inflammation and robust proliferative um, period just kind of calms down and that the inflammation gradually calms down. I, I've never had one of these suddenly grow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always your seeing mom, you know, at two months, three months, six months postpartum. I, um, I mean, I guess the rest of you guys that in family practice get to see babies grow up, but I, I feel like I also do too. You know, I see these yeah. babies that I've, I've seen at two months and then, you know, we're seeing them back at a year still. And I've never seen one of these kind of complex, um, you know, whether they're complex galactoceles or, or phlegmons, which again is kind of the breastfeeding phlegmon is sort of a term I've, I've created to describe some of these complex masses um, that aren't simple abscesses or simple galactoceles. I think they all, you know, you biopsy them because, you, you know, it's extremely low risk to biopsy these and, um, and, you know, they often are, are, you know, almost always show the subacute mastitis or lactational changes or acute on chronic mastitis or um, cystic contents. You see this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, maybe it does, maybe the, the core needle biopsy, because they will fire the, the, um, the needle a couple of times and maybe it disrupts some obstruction disrupt some some milk that's kind of lodged and sticky. I mean, I think that's something else that I learned in um, breastfeeding medicine is, you know, we, we drain all kinds of abscesses in general surgery and really breast abscesses are quite different in the setting of, of lactation. I mean, milk is really sticky and it's not the, the same kind of pus that we get from a perforated appendicitis or perirectal abscess or you know, even an infected sebaceous cyst. I mean, that doesn't have sticky milk in it. Yeah, but sometimes it gets really inspissated. Like when I do an IND in the office and it's just like that really super thick, cheesy stuff. It's, you know, yeah. you know, it wasn't always like that to begin with, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm <laughs> getting away from gross stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I have a question for you. Okay, so I have always said for years that um, I've always done this cutoff of two days in terms of a plug duct. So women call and they say, you know, I have this area that's really firm and it I feel like the milk's not flowing on that side and I feel like I have a plug and my general rule of thumb has been to say you know if it's been there for more than two days come in and some people say well mm-hmm. wait just can't a plug last longer and to me it's like either it gets either women get over it in two days or there's something else going on either it's an abscess mm-hmm. or a mass of right. some other sort do you agree with like the two-day cutoff yes. or yeah okay absolutely absolutely I mean it's 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 turning into a galactoseal, an abscess. I think the the if I could communicate to everyone that I, I think that I know that people have different challenges with practice situations and and caseloads and um, you know schedules, but I think that the diagnosing um, or trying to treat breastfeeding um, challenges over the phone, I think that's where a lot of the trouble begins. You know, I right. think that you have to examine the patient. Because something that the patient is describing is not at all what you'll see with your own eyes. Something that another provider is describing is not the 
the same that you'll see with your own eyes, your own hands, what you, um, you know, all the, the, all of the, um, you know, the, the complex dyad, what you see with the baby is not something that someone else sees with the baby. And, you know, it all works together. And so um, I think that's super important to bring in any mom. And, and when she's calling back and she's saying, I'm massaging this plug and it's not going away, that absolutely needs an evaluation because it's, it's not a plug. Right. It's something persistent. Right. So two other things I want to run by you. Um, one, uh, two things I learned from you when we were in Ottawa with the Milk Mob Conference. One was um, you said the breast is an organ. It's not a muscle. Stop smashing it. It's like massaging the thyroid. Right, right exactly. I think that's a great, great point. Because all these women come in and they, <laughs> and they have these these bruises and uh, red streaks oh, on their breasts, just oh, like really geez. injuring their breast from kind of like pushing really, really hard on plugs and, um, or just trying to compress to transfer milk to their baby um, or aggressively massaging when they're really full. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's fat and it's really, really dense parenchyma in in breastfeeding and I don't think it's it's what people imagine I really think people think that you can it's almost like a balloon and you can you know get the plug out at the end of the balloon but it, it's so much more microscopic than that and and it really is I, I think I learned so much from the physical therapists and my breast surgery training to do the lymphedema mm -hmm. um, treatments and it's a light massage you know like trying to 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 reduce inflammation and edema in the breast. We do that often after radiation um, therapy to the breast, after a breast cancer. It's a light massage. It's not like anyone is, is really digging into it. As one of my patients said, you know, digging into like a, like a trapezius. It, it's not. It's the breast. You know, be gentle. <laughs> right, right. And then the other thing is um, ductal sinuses. So for those of us who've been around, you know, for a really long time, we used to rely on these images, these, these drawings of the breast anatomy where there were these ductal sinus, these uh, ductal sinuses sitting behind the areola where you know, the ducts are coming together, con, uh, convalescing to, uh, uh, coming together, coalescing together behind the areola. And then there's, they look a little widened behind the areola. So then these ultras, this ultrasound work was done in Australia where it was proclaimed that there aren't any ductal sinuses. And then I heard you say, well, wait a minute, let me tell you what I see in surgery. I, yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, that I, I think most of us who operate on the breast would agree that in the retro areolar region, all of the ductal tissue coalesces and you can see, you can see, you know, quite dilated, um, dilated ducts in this and that's usually in the setting of a pathologic obstruction like that um that image i showed from my program director actually from fellowship his uh henry cures breast surgical oncology i think it's such a great um a great image of a dilated a dilated duct but um i, I think just clinically with with these breastfeeding patients that it, it it makes sense that you would have a little bit of a reservoir there in the retroareolar region yeah. um, for you know the the milk and that they're they're dynamic and um, you know and I I also think clinically um, I I see a lot of abscesses develop in the kind of periareolar retroareolar region um, I think just from stasis there you know yeah, it's more uncommon to see to see a mastitis kind of 
just randomly in the, the, the axillary tail or, you know, somewhere more distal from the, um, you know, the nipple areolar complex, it always kind of tends, you know, that people tend to plug and tend to, um, you know, people plug in a ductal distribution radiating outward, but I think some of those more challenging mastitis and abscess um, situations are when the kind of the whole retroareolar area is just engorged and, and plugged from a particular, I think, kind of stasis and a sinus, but... Yeah, um, it totally yeah. makes sense because when you think about mastitis, you tend to see the little faint redness like right be right at the edge of the areola starting there. Mm -hmm. so, and also like if I was going to design a breast, um, like if I, you know, if you start from scratch, it would make sense that you right. have like this big bulb of milk sitting behind the areola so the baby can compress right. it, right? And then right, just, exactly. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's yeah. Cool. I guess it's up for debate, but but personally, yeah, I think most of us that open up, you make a perioral incision and you open up that area, and it's it's certainly it's it's very different tissue from other parts of the breast, particularly in younger women with really dense dense breasts. Interesting. Was there anything else that you want to share with uh, the more than thousand people who listen to this podcast? Um, geez, I guess we could just um, touch on quickly the, um, cause I, I don't realize, I think when I say, um, you know, of course get a, you know, get imaging, get a biopsy if needed, but that a lot of, um, a lot of primary care doctors may not be totally familiar with the terminology that the radiologists are using. And mm -hmm. for us in breast surgery, we work so hand in hand with a breast radiologist that, you know, knowing breast imaging terminology is, is you know, it, it's second nature to us, but, um, but I think a, just a good reference, um, the American College of Radiology, um, there is a quick reference sheet that you can get at um, the ACR.org. Um, and you look up the BIRADS, um, it's called the BIRADS Atlas 5th Edition Quick, uh, quick Reference. And that has some of the language, or it actually has all of the language, um, that BIRADS is just a standardized reporting system for breast imaging. It's called the Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System. That's what BIRADS stands for. Um, and it was uh, originally designed to standardize mammography reporting. So, you know, if you're in California and you get a mammogram and then you move to, you know, Wisconsin, um, that... Um, you know, someone can look at a report you had and, and it, there would be some kind of standardized referencing with, um, with terminology and then with this, um, the, uh, the, the categoriz categorization of findings um, that you had mentioned with the, with the BIRAD score. Mm -hmm. So that's something that anyone should be able to, to look up and, you know, it, it, there's categories from zero to six. Um, most of the time you're going to see something in the category two benign category three is probably benign. And that requires a, um, usually a, a six month follow-up interval imaging. Um, and then category four is when you kind of get into the, the biopsy, um, the biopsy, but uh, that may be helpful for primary care um, doctors that are seeing um seeing imaging reports and wondering what they mean that they'll always see a BIRAD score on there. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll find the Atlas and I'll post it on our, on our um, Facebook page for the podcast. 
That sounds, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. And then maybe, I don't know if you want to just mention the fact that there are these new guidelines on the um, appropriateness criteria for yeah. breast cancer screening. Yeah. So that came out this spring. That's an American College of Radiology appropriateness criteria um, that they're recommending that women who are breastfeeding or pregnant undergo essentially screening as would otherwise be indicated um, for their lifetime risk. So a woman at an average um, risk for breast cancer would begin screening um, at the age of 40, whether she's breastfeeding or whether she's pregnant, um, because the shielded uterus receives you know, less radiation than if you were to get on a, a plane, a plane flight while you were pregnant. So, um, and then actually starting earlier screening for women that may have a known gene mutation or otherwise at high risk for um, development of breast cancer in their lifetime due to family history or other factors. Cool. That sounds great. That's so, so this was just fantastic information and uh, it was really helpful to share that case. So thank you so much. And uh, sure. I, I hope it was <laughs> hope it was clear. Like I said, you kind of that that's actually a complicated, complicated that a, situation. I think yes. more often than not, we see these these complex masses, and and you're wondering it's not quite as simple as an abscess that you drain and you move on from. Right, and I think part of the problem is that radiology is just a stumped, um, and so I think so. I have found that radiology. Like when the radiologist said to me, well, gosh, I really would like to know what you think about it. I realized that they mm -hmm. really don't have a good understanding of what's happening during lactation um, unless they're right. hand in hand with, you know, unless they've created some sort of, you know, protocol or system at their bus center. So, yeah, so there's a lot for us to right, be. Right, but I think we're all learning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that breast surgeons are, are learning and radiologists, and I think it's, it's one of these things that it's so complex and the lactational changes that occur in the breast are so complex. And, and uh, I, I, I don't think any of us, you only learn over time about the, these complicated masses and, and complex galactoseals and the calcifications. And um, it, it's, it's definitely not as straightforward. And, and I feel like I'm learning something literally every day in my clinic. So. Yeah, and I think the big lesson is just follow, follow, follow and make sure that you're not missing anything, right? Yes, the, yeah. exactly. You can't ever go wrong. I said, you know, congratulations to this this um, primary care provider that sent her for imaging when something didn't look right. Or, yeah. you know, there's there's never, it's never wrong to send for imaging um, or biopsy um, and then to follow over time for resolution. And I think that's also something too that, that you know, I see people back and, and it may be a quick visit and everything may be going fine, but it's also a time to reevaluate, you know, mom always comes up with a, another question and says, oh, okay, well, what about this? You know, I've had moms asking me about complimentary foods and, you know, all these other things that come up down the road. And like I said, I get to see babies grow up that I, I probably normally wouldn't get to see right. in breast surgery. Right, so. right. Yeah, I know. It's so much fun to have the babies come back. Like, yes, you can come back for your breast lesion, but make sure you bring that baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cute. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Katrina, yeah. and uh, we'll be, I'll okay. be in touch and we'll see you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All Bye. right. Bye. For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through themilkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page, where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. 
To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.